So for uh, this podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, jockey Dougie Costello. Thanks for coming on, Dougie. Hi, Chris. Yeah, cheers. No, thanks enough. So where did it all start for you? How did you become a jockey? Did you come from a racing family or like racing growing up? Yeah, I, 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 well, I came from a hunting family uh, from the west of Ireland. Um, my uncle was a, was an amateur jockey. Uh, James uh, Costello in the west of Ireland, and he, then he became a hunt master. Um, and I had another uncle that was into hunting as well. Um, and then I had a couple of aunts who were into, uh, well, were into horses as well. And they progressed on to um, to bigger things in the USA. Um, so it was always in the family. As say, my gran had a small, small hole, uh, a small hole farm about sixty-five acres. So I think in Ireland, uh, it was either a case or either went into horses or farming or building. Um, they, they actually were the three options when I was growing up. And when you um, were going to become a jockey, did you uh, have to go and train at a Pacific like racing college or a racing school? Uh, I, I tried. I was a, I was more on the larger side then. Um, a lot of my family are quite big. They're quite sort of, sort of six foot five, six foot. Um, so I got into racing. My first yard, I got into racing. I said I was into hunting, but the first yard I worked in was a yard down the road for me called Matty O'Toole's. We had about 25 uh, ju- ju- purpose horses. Um, and that was run by uh, an English uh, train- trainer called Michael Kelly. I got in there when I was about 10 or 11. Um at that stage, it was probably about five foot six. Um, I was probably touching the scales anywhere from nine, uh, nine, seven to ten stones. So, at that stage of my career, I always wanted to be a jockey, but um, I, I probably didn't really understand the full uh, with dedication um, until I got into I went into a racing yard and I, I seen it was a totally different side than hunting, you know. Yeah, and. Obviously, most people will know that you started out as a as a jump jockey. Um, yeah. What, what because of your weight um, yeah. and your physique, did you always feel that you had to go down the jumping route? That was the um, only option for you at the time. Well, what I said, I tried. I my um, uncle was quite a stern man, and um, I remember when I was about thirteen, I think it was uh, fourteen. Um, I think it was more around, yeah, around with that age, he asked me if I wanted to, uh, which was the route I wanted to go. And I said, I'll be a jockey. And he, as I say, he was a very stern man, an old-fashioned man, and he, uh, he didn't mix his words. And he took one look at me and he went, well, you're too fat to be a jockey. Um, so at the age of 13, then I probably started a, a training, a, a, a regime of sweating and running and and not eating a lot um and that probably at that stage of my life it probably just hit the right time um because you're probably just starting to grow grow properly and develop uh with muscle in the within the with areas where you should and i was probably uh were taking away a lot of all that uh, side so by the time i got to about 14 15 i think it was probably about i probably dropped down to about eight stone um i tried to get in towards the cura uh, the racing college up there, um, and they said I was too tall and too um, uh, were heavy, which they were probably right as well. Um, so I remember me, me, me and my mom, uh, we wrote a lot of letters to a lot of trainers back then, 
one with tra- uh, with tra- well, uh, with tra- trainer John Ox. Uh, he actually brought back, um, and he asked me, you know, a bit about my background, um, my size, my mom, um, and, and like my family, my feet size. And I, I wrote back to him, and he wrote back again, uh, advising me that I was probably going to be too big to be a flat jockey, but I could come and work for him at week at at, at uh, with summer holidays. Um, and my best route would be to go down the jumping route. And if time progressed that I didn't get as big as I expected, that then maybe I could consider the flat route. Um, back then, I didn't actually, I, I, I didn't really think about the flat. I, I came from a hunting background, um, and a lot of kids in Ireland were more into jumping and stuff like that. So you had your Richard Dunwoodies, you had your Connor DeWires, your Charlie Swans. Um, you know, it's all about jumping, and and, uh, and 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 with that, the flat wasn't really on my mind. Yeah, and and so when you did kind of get your license to become a jockey, did you start as an amateur um, before you came conditional, or did you ride in some point to points? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the first way I went, I, I remember uh, with uh, in Matthew Tools, uh, his nephew was a young man called Sean McCleary. Um, and the Clearys uh, are very good uh, with horse family. Uh, and Sean and his brothers, Rory and Tom, were uh, within the pub pony flapping. Uh, Sean was the, old, the, the, the oldest, and Sean was working in Matty's at the time, at weekends and holidays. And he got me into flapping about the age of 15. Um, and that's when I really got the buzz for it. Like the, um, you know, it was just a, 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 the tactics was, was like one thing I was really into. Um and but I was still quite big, like, you know, my bottom weight was probably eight stone five, eight six. Um and then I uh at sixteen I got an amateur license because my uncle had a few pointers and a lot of local people around around me had a few a few pointers, but um they were quite novice, so I didn't get quite a, a start with them. Um and Sean Cleary and his family had uh, an old pointer uh, who was sort of uh, I was 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 semi uh, um, packed in, and she was about nine, I think it was, um, and they kind of gave gave me her for a year. Um, so I'd, I would like I, had, I I took her off them for a year, and I had her as a a school a school uh, a schoolmaster. Um, and I'd done the pointing for a year. Um, again, I was kind of in between weights. I was too he- I was heavy to be a flat jockey, but I was too light to be a, a point-to-point jockey. I was probably standing in co- colours and boots uh, with nine stone, um, so I had a lot of dead weight in that. Um, so I'd done that for a season, but I didn't have many rides. Um, it was quite a learning curve. Um, and then um, I said I I was still I was still still a school school at the same time, and um, I I uh, I had relations in America in the in the USA as I said my aunts were were out there, um, and I went out there for a two weeks uh, vacation at the age of seventeen about, um, and then I stayed there for six months, um, and then when I came back from the states. I worked for a guy in the States called with Tommy Skiffington, mm-hmm. who was uh, was formerly a steeplechase with jockey, uh, like a national hunt with jockey. Um, and he he came to England in the stack year and he worked for Jimmy Fitzgerald. 
Um, and he had a couple of good years over here, and then he went back to the States and became a trainer. Um, I had a lot of nice horses. Um, and when I joined him when I was about 17, he was probably just towards the back end of his career as a trainer. Um, and Tom, Tommy uh, took me in, and, and I worked for him for six months. Um, he looked after me very well. I learned me the rope, uh, like the ropes and the clock and stuff like that, and changing leads and 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 so on and so forth. And 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 then it it, it actually broadened my horizon on um, I would say I went from the pony flapping with tactical uh, riding on on jockeys like you know uh, I would taking leads and and sw- switching out and inside of the track and outside. But then when I went for the states, it was a different side. It was it was uh, I would learn with learning the clock. And learning uh, the stride of the horse, and uh, with changing leads, um, and get and getting horses to actually breed. Uh, the Americans are uh, are quite good at getting the horses to go real fast pace, but at the same time, uh, get their uh, second wind without actually slowing down the figures very um, a lot, you know, um, and then getting them to pick up again off the bends and switching leads. And the Americans are quite into when you switch off the bend to switch them on to actually their, their off lead because a lot of the tracks are left-handed out there and that entices the horse to get a second run um so it was very uh with interesting curve and 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 uh, and, and it was very good um and then i spent six months out there i came back to uh with ireland um and i continued my uh with education and uh, my a levels um, but when I came back, I turned uh, pro, 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 uh, as a jump jockey. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for a guy called Jerry, Jerry Lynch at the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jerry had a couple of nice horses there around the time. He had a real good horse called Experimentalist. Um, it was a real good flat horse. Um, and he became a real nice hurdler as well. Uh, and Neil Mulholland where I first, well, I, I met Neil along the road mm-hmm. uh, just before that, but um, Neil won a big hurdle on him at the Pad Pad Paddy Power Festival. Um, and then Jerry, but Jerry gave me about, I don't know, 150 rides with inside two, three seasons. Um, I think it was about two seasons I spent with Jerry. Um, yeah, and then I came to England then at the age of, I think I was 19, I think. And, and who was your first major base uh, in England when you came across? Uh, well, uh, John Quinn was. Um, I, 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 well, I had a good friend over here, a friend of a friend, uh, Vinnie Keane, mm-hmm. who was attached to Brian Elson at the time. Um, and Brian was doing very, very, very well over. Uh, Vinnie Keane, Keane was doing very well over here in the north, uh, with, north, with north of England. Uh, he had a good horse called uh, with Lat Lumby, mm-hmm. um, who we all know in the go. A gold cup, I think it was, or a champion chase. Sorry, fell at the second last, the two 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 years in a row. Um, but I uh, with with Vinnie Keane, we got me into um, a John Quinn's, and uh, I came over here in the summertime um, with the view of sort of like if I didn't like it, at least it was the summertime, and if things didn't work out, I could go back to Ireland for like a winter campaign. Um, I had a few contacts in Ireland who wanted me to uh, would change back to an amateur um, and try and, and go down the amateur route. Um, so I thought, well, if I come over here in the summertime and things didn't work out or didn't like it, I could come back. So I came over to John Quinn, yeah, about uh, 20 years ago. Um, so we've always sort of, sort of been attached to John Quinn over, over the years. 
Um, one of your biggest wins in your career obviously came at the Cheltenham Festival with John Quinn. I'm jumping forward a bit now. Um, but um, it was a horse, wasn't it, called uh, Country uh, Wide Flame. Did you ever think yeah. he could win because he was a 33-1 to 1 shot in the day? Because if you look at the race, you've come back from a mile at one point because it seems like you're getting out of pace, but he just came, kept on finding up the hill, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. With that day, it was a, it, it, it was a very... Um... It, it was a wet week and the ground was starting to dry out a bit um, and I remember I got there down the Friday morning I'd ridden there I think on the Tuesday and then it started to dry out that week and I remember walking the track on the Friday and on the standside rail uh, the um, the ground staff had took the uh, uh, buggy up and down all week um, uh, bringing up clay to fill in all the divots and that so when I walked on the track, I felt that Stanside was not the place to be. Um, I said to myself, if, it, if I could get a run, I'd come up like, right against the fence side, um, mm-hmm. outward on the inside, up against the fence wing, because there was a nice strip of ground up there for two actually horses. Mm-hmm. Um, did I feel Punchaway Flame was good enough? Um, he progressed all the way up through, through the ranks. Um, he learned his trade on the gaff tracks, as you said, Cartmel's and places like that. Um, I remember one day at Chepstow, he got beat by a real nice horse, Donald McCain's. I'm trying to think of the horse's name now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, a re- a, it, it was a real a, 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 a progressing horse, a real classy flat horse at the time. I think of his name in a minute now, the horse of Donald's. Um, and 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 he beat me. Um, I thought, well, war lad. He didn't lie down. Well, on the line, I don't think I was beaten that far. Um, I felt he gave everything. And I remember then we went back to Ireland just before the Cheltenham Festival. We ran in a really, a really competitive uh, with juvenile with hurdle. And I remember the pace was consistent, but it slowed down about the fourth last. And I remember it started to pick back up again, going towards the second last uphill. And I remember I would his a bat arrived on my inside. I would Andrew McNamara, and at the same time I was thinking I'm in the money here. Um, and where Andy had to take back from my inside and come around me. And I remember when he went away from uh, I would Andy actually won the race, but when he went away from the back of the last, so wow, he had a lot of gears. But I did plug on to be third that day, um, and I was very pleased with my lad because he kept galloping right out towards the line. And the pace wasn't uh, 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 strong the whole way through. Um, but the day we went for his Cheltenham day, and I was thinking, all right, the ground, mm. you know, he would he he ran on slow ground on the flat, but he never ran on ground like this. But the one thing I was thinking, the juvenile hurdle, it's a stair that always wins the race. And I was thinking, well, that's the only thing that actually will help me if I can't get too far back through actually the race, if I can hold my pitch. Um, you know, and if I'm still there turning in, I know he'll gallop all the way up that hill. Um, and it was a rough race. We uh, the pace picked up a long way out. We turned down the back, and I remember we jumped the first hurdle down the back, and Paddy Brennan on a little horse called Baby Sister, I think, or Baby Baby Mix. Um, of Tom George's, he used to be a keen little horse. He arrived on my right hand side and kept me quite tight. Um, but all the way we were up the hill, whenever I, I, I kept asking my uh, I, I, I our lad to keep binding and I would, I would hold uh, with his position he did so I thought alright 
if I can just jump the one downhill and hold, and hold my pitch, I'll still have some kind of chance because they can't keep quickening because the pace of lift is so far out. And I remember we jumped second last. We turned in around the bend and Paul uh, Carby arrived on my inside. Um, my left leg was literally open, my withers. And I was thinking, where, where is he going? Where, I, I, if I need to get up that fence side. So I ended up I, 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 I managing to hold my ground on the inside. And once we turned in and we got inside that with inside lane, and we got a couple of smacks into him and he changed leads. He just kept picking up, picking up. And the pace did stop because it was that strong. Um, and he grinded it out. And as, as I say, the rest is history. Um, he was a tough little horse. He had a lot of runs and handicaps for, Kev, for Kevin Ryan. And he was a battled hardened. And it was the same way with over jumps. He, he, he was battled hardened. He enjoyed it. Um, and he was a tough little horse, and he progressed on from there on. You know, I think he went and finished second in the uh, Zazar with with Jimmy Quinn at a new a new market. Um, he went on to win a fight in fifth, and then then he went on to finish third in the champion hurdles. So he, you know, he's he's formed proven he was a tough, strong little horse. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a great horse for you. What other horses um, from your time as a jump jockey? are close to you in your heart would uh wayward prince be one who won a grade one yeah yeah i i i always have a little horse in my head uh, a, a little horse to jump in train horse called king's key mm-hmm. um it was really at the start of when things started to i was coming out of my three pound claim and um, when you're a jump jockey or with any jockey apprentice you, you know you want to go okay through through your seven pound claim learn your trade when you get to your five pound claim you kind of want to know 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 what you're doing with doing and build contacts but when you get to your three pounds you really want to hit the ground and, and show that you've learned what off the couple of seasons you've had and when i was getting out of my three pound claim there was a little horse called kingsky and he was trained tra- tra- trained by john quinn mm-hmm. um he came to us and he was a he was a quirky little horse he had stacks of ability um but he was just a bit, I, I was quirky, you know, and because I was based with the yard and I was in there probably five, six days a week, I got to know him inside out. And he really was the start of my progression through my claim and on to uh, the big handicap uh, with horses because he would always run in the big fields. And jockeys can, again, you can you can go and win your, your grade ones with six or seven runners or you can go and and when you're big, you know, you're, you're, you're big with chases with small fields. But I think a lot of trainers and a lot of uh, jockeys, when they can hold their own and big handicaps and ride tactically and produce horses at the right time, it really does stand them all the way through actually their career. Um, and Kingsky was that type of horse. I remember he went to a well, with entry for a nice handicap on uh, on National Day, and he went and won that by an, uh, a neck, I think it was, or half length. Um, he beat Jason McGuire on a horse at Donald McCain's. Um, and then he went to the summer hurdle and he went and won that by a neck um, or nose, I think it was. And then he went down to Wincanton and won the elite hurdle for his second year running. Um, and and he was just a little horse that once we found the key, he just kept progressing, progressing, progressing. And he actually went on and won a real nice with novice chase at a, a fake in him. Um, he wasn't very big, but he still pulled everything out of the bag, and he 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 was definitely the stepping stone that led to your country flames, uh, your money's garden. Like I was very very lucky again. My agent at the time would over jumps, 
I, I used to have Dave with Dave with Dave Roberts, who what everybody knows yeah. Dave. Um, he is literally uh, like the best, you know. He again, Dave was the man that progressed me up into the better type of horses, and he got me onto Mon out Monet's Garden on his last old run chase, and um, and, and and he actually, uh, you know, it, it, it was just a pleasure to ride him, and uh, you know, he, he he was a very exuberant horse. He was. He was very, uh, he was a very good jumper. Um, from 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 the back of his fences, he was a lot like a sprinter without a starting block. So I just the one thing I can always uh, 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 picture him is is uh, from the back of a last. You could land and someone could land right beside you, but within one stride you would be two three lengths clear, 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 clear of him. And he used to get so lower back of the fence and and push off his hind legs so quick. Um, or he might be short, he might have been long, but he was so quick away from from from, from his fences. Um, and before that, again, a good friend of mine who I met, as I said at the start, who 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 I met years before that, probably about fifteen years before that, was Neil Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew Neil from a very young age. Uh, I met Neil first when I was twelve, and, and Neil started to actually train, and I knew him. For, for, for all them years and he started to, to actually train um, and his second year of training he sort of pulled me aside and asked me would I be available and would I be able to ride a bit for him um, which was great and, 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 and it was brilliant because we had a, such a long relationship um, and he had a real nice horse called Midnight Chase um, and he was probably again another stepping stone in my career um, I was probably always known for a little bit of, of, of flat horses, stroke, juvenile hurdlers, stroke, or handicap hurdlers. Mm-hmm. But jockeys need them horses to, uh, to, to to switch from hurdles to fences. And probably Midnight Chase was my, well, even though I'd ridden plenty of ch- chase winners, uh, not at that level. And then when Midnight Chase popped out, it was the progression for me from being a dual purpose sort of, sort of type of rider and uh, to um, uh, your um, uh, your chase uh, your, cha- your chase horses. Um, and we all know the store story. Midnight Chase, as you say, he he won. He went to one six or seven around Cheltenham. Uh, he, um, he didn't win at the festival, but he won at the Pad 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 Paddy Power meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and the smaller meetings around there, but he he was just uh, again a horse that progressed and to be a part of that story, uh, it's still brilliant. Like Neil was second year training, he needed a big name horse. I was probably put into a sixth or seventh or eighth year of riding as a pro, and I needed a horse like this, and it just came at the right time. Um, he just went on and just uh, you know became a real clack 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 classy our handicapper. Um, he never sort sort of tra- transitioned into your uh, your top top horse into your your gold gold cup horses, but he was always there on the big days, you know, and and, and like the handicaps. Um, and then as I say, I got on plenty of other nice horses. I got on the um, I got on a, a real nice horse. Of um, I never won on him, but just uh, the, p- the pleasure to ride him a gym, a gym clotties. I went to one go go cup that year. Uh, I picked up him as a spare one year, um, in the in the Hennessy. Um, the name escapes me at the moment now. Um, yeah, he won the go go, go cup for with Davy Russell. Um, was it Lord Windermere? Yeah. 
That was him. That yeah. was him. Lord, 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 Lord. Yeah. yeah, I got I got a couple of spins on him. Um, I rode him in the Hennessy. I rode him in a, a real nice chase in Ireland. Um, he probably wasn't at, at his best at the time. Um, but again, he was a real a classy horse. Um, again, John Joe Neal, he got me on Alberta's run. I was second on him behind Monet's Garden at Ascot. Um, so it was really a pleasure to ride these nice horses um, for good people. Um, I said them type of horses, King's Key and your Midnight Chase and 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 your your Wayward Princess again. Wayward was I, I was attached to Ian Williams, um, and uh, the owner was Hilary uh, Parrot, um, mm-hmm. and he was again a horse that was a transition fraction. Me, he won a a Grade One hurdle. Um, he went on to win a nice uh, novice chase at Weatherby. Um, the same year I broke my ankle just before Cheltenham and. Um, he finished second. Uh, he finished second in the RSA, um, but he, but he, but he was a horse that was stepping up all the time, and he was a real good novice. And again, it was Kim at the time for me when you, you, you had your handicappers over fences, but you needed a good novice to progress through, and he was there for us. Um, so yeah, it was a, a very good time. Seems like obviously you were in lovely of uh, jump sources. When did you make that decision that you needed to transfer towards the Flatmore? Um, again, I would. I was always sort of freelance. Um, I was getting no, no, no younger. I was about thirty-two, and I always found every year I was sort of getting little niggly injuries, like I might be out for a month, six weeks every year. Um, and I remember I think the last injury I had punctured lung and a couple of broken ribs and a fractured shoulder blade. I, I was out for about uh twelve weeks. It was just going in towards the summertime. Um. And I was living down south at the time. I was living in Oxford. Mm-hmm. And um, I was quite light as a jump jockey. I was always sort of around your 9.5, your 9.7 weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I got very light. I think I got down to about 8 stone, 9 or 8, 10. Um, and um, I started right now for uh, uh, William Muir. Um, and William was kind enough to give me a couple, or like a hell of a dual purpose license. And William was very kind bought me up on a couple of real nice horses all through to actually that year um, a couple of nights with two two-year-olds that went and won um, and and I, I didn't actually probably think at the time but to be able to win on a two-year-old um, is a big stepping stone because again people bracket you that you can win on two-year-olds and, and, and they're learning their trade so I suppose that trade point I had from being a jump jockey helped me to transition on the flat with these raw two-year-olds um, holding them together, getting them balanced and, and getting them to go forward uh, and, and William, he gave me the older horses as well to win a nice winner at Newmarket Firm um, and then again I went back jumping then and I'd seen the other side of the coin, you know, on the flat the prize money was unbelievable um, there was a lot more racing uh, it's all over the world um, and my weight, I was able to maintain that through actually the summer. Um, I remember went back jumping, and I had no base. I was always a freelance jump jockey that had to work really, really hard. Um, and I think through that second, the first year after my first year in the flat, I was making a couple of mistakes. I was getting on the wrong horses and so on. And the year was getting to actually me a lot. So I was, I was making, but on a Saturday, I, I might have been a Hexham for four and I would have got up then at the last second and went to win Canton for five. 
and I might have missed two, three winners at Hexham and, and had a blank day at Wincanton. So the year was very frustrating. I remember the following summer, I remember towards the end of that year, I was sort of thinking, I can't wait for uh, the flat to start and just get back into Williams and get riding out and, and get on a couple of nice little horses again. And then that and that happened again. And I remember then we moved back up north when my daughter was born. And I started riding out for Carol Burke. Um, and um, then the following summer, uh, Carl just uh, he, he, he came to me with, with like an offer that you know he'd a lot of two year olds there, and I would have been interested in making a switch on the flat. And I just thought it was too good, good of an opportunity to say to say to say no. Um, I I'd watched Carl Burke for a lot of years. Um, when Darren Williams used to ride for my member, Darren Darren used to come into John Quinn's. Um, uh, with all the years previous, and I um, I followed Darren, and because I followed Darren, I've seen a lot of, of Carl's horses and seen how, again, he always found a couple of nice horses every year and progressed on all through the ranks with them. And Carl had a good string that year up, up when he asked me. And I just felt, look, if, if I didn't say yes now and never get the chance again, I thought I could always go back jumping if things don't work out. Um, so I took the chance. Um, and, and yeah, and I say it was a, you know, it was great, a great, great, a great chance to get and an opportunity, and yeah, it was brilliant. And probably the most, one of the most uh, successful horses you uh, uh, rode when you were with Car was uh, Quiet Reflection. What was she like to ride? Oh, she was unbelievable. Um, whatever you would want as a flat jockey, um, she was. <clears throat> um, you know, she was. I, 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 I ride probably. I got on her the probably second year. I mean, there was a few jockeys before me that had ridden her. Graham Lee was the main one. Again, next jump a rider, and he done such a good job with her. Like I didn't ride her through her um her two year old career, but Graham had won <clears throat> two or three races on her. I think two, two, two. He'd won on her. Um, and 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 he'd done a lot of the groundwork, and then uh. Jordan Bone, who was based with Carl, an apprentice jockey, he used to look after her, but every day he'd ride her out, and he'd done such a good job. She was a pleasure to deal with, but a lot of these horses only progress on when they've got good people around them. It's very easy to make a bad, a good horse bad, you know. Um, it's quite hard to make a bad horse good. So um, Jordan done an unbelievable job, and Carl, like Carl, like literally, look at he's he's so skillful with these horses. It's you know. So at, at the time, I didn't really take it in because my mind was still thinking about the jumping and the flat am I doing the right thing am I not doing the right thing um, but when she came along it was just like I think I remember the first morning I sat on her up the gallop and you know she, you know, once you got her switched off she would just switch off and it'd be like driving a car but not actually driving it you'd be sort of like it'd be like driving a car that's actually driven for you that you're just sitting there and when you, when you want to do something you just pull out and I press go and she would go um yeah, she she was just her her turn of foot was just yeah it was it, it was just unbelievable um yeah and, and and she went to France for us she won a group three in France um she probably wasn't at her best in France personally I felt I mean she was a filly when you got to know her when she used to be quiet in the parade ring she'd always get a bit warm when you jump on her and when you got on her she'd always be a little bit keen to post when she was quiet in the parade ring. And she was a filly, I felt that when you seen her in the parade ring, as you've seen her on uh, 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 with Ascot, when she's trying to kick out, she's bucking and squealing. 
And then when a jockey hops on, she just simmers down and she lobs the post and she does everything right, you know. Um, so she won a group a group three in France. I don't think she was at her best personally. Um, then she went to, to uh, with Haydock and won a group two with, with Anna Hackhanter. Um, I beat that a nice horse of John, uh, James Ferguson, a jumper of a French up, um, the Tin Man. Yeah. Um, and then she went on and won a group one. And then went back to hate, to hate, to hate. I won a group, a group one. But just the way that Carol kept her peaked all year in Jordan, you know, it was a team effort. It was, it was between them two. I was just the one getting on her at the last second. Um, am I sitting there maybe I think I sat in her once or twice before she went to uh, France and then I didn't sit in her then until she was on the track um, but you know you watched her every day when you were in there uh, you seen how she acted and I felt that I had a little bit of when I won on her the second day and I seen the way she was acting in the ring I, I kind of in my head I'd, I'd seen that before with horses so I thought well I know her now she's quite on the day I'd be a little bit worried if she's on her toes I'd be very happy um, but yeah, she she was just the next step, you know. Would you say she's probably the best horse you've ever sat on on the flat or as a jockey? <laughs> oh well, well, the form would have to say yeah, definitely. Um, it's very hard because uh, as a rider, you get attached to horses, but on black and white and and everything, she 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 definitely is the best I've ever sat on. Um, but on a racetrack, um, you know, she I was one in a kind. Um. I just say it was just, um, you know, I mean, I didn't actually understand it at the time. I was sort of, I said, I switched on the flat and I'd won a group one at Royal Ascot. And, you know, I was still kind of comparing in my head, is it as good as a Cheltenham Festival winner? Mm. Um, and, and then she went and won a grade one, a, a group one again at Wood Haydock. Um, and to be honest with you, I didn't even realise it was a group one at mm. Wood Haydock. I think pe- people would say that was mad, but... I just wanted. I was just so excited that day to ride her the second day as with with Haydock to actually sit on her again because I don't think I sat on her since Ascot, and that was a real thing. I was just so excited to to, to get the leg leg across. Her. I didn't actually, I didn't actually, <laughs> I didn't actually look at that and assess that. Um, and and yeah, just to have gone on the flat that first year and had won, and she to do the whole book for the group three, group two, two group ones. Um, Again, I, I didn't really think at the time, you know, I didn't, I felt this was easy, but it was probably uh, a couple of months after that, I was riding out of a, a Keith Odlicious, and, uh, and Keith had been a previous jockey himself and a very successful trainer, and he said to me in the office, he said, I don't think he realised what, what actually uh, what happened. I said, well, not really, but really, he said, if you look at these group, group, group races, he said, you might have nine runners. And every one of them horses will be owned by a, a shake or, or so on, and, and it'll be a retained rider. So for you to, to, to come in on your first year and to win a group race, two, two, two group, group ones, mm. he said, at Royal Ascot, he said, and Haydock, he said, it's just, uh, you know, you, you you want to thank yourself lucky. Um, and I probably still, I, I, you know, I took it in. Um, and it was only until with Joe Fanning had won his first group one at Newmarket at the end of the season. That I actually clicked, thinking, well, Joe was a very established rider, a very good rider, and he attached to a massive uh, powerhouse of Mark Johnson's. Mm. And, you know, and Joe had ridden, I think, he'd ridden a lot of Group 3s and Group 2s, but he'd never had ridden a Group group 1. And then the penny dropped. um, And I started then assessing, like, you know, there's a lot of lads in the way that hadn't ridden 
I've ridden a group one. I got a chance to even sit in a group one horse. Um, and then I started understanding how 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 tough it is to find them type of horses. Um, but yeah, the first year, and it probably wasn't a bad thing not to really, really understand completely. You know, because I, I was still looking at it as a personal point of view as to jumping in the flat. Because if you if you tie yourself down to them pressures, and and and, and you go into a race thinking, oh my God, this is a group one on favourite Royal Ascot, you might just do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, so probably it was the best thing ever. You know, that first year came came along. You know. Yeah, and that is, it sounds like you had a, a great time uh, with Carl. You left him um, a couple of years ago. So these days, are you still riding out for the likes of Jamie Osborne? Still involved with the Melbourne Ten? Yeah, I haven't been down to Jamie for a while. Um, I've been riding out for Mr. Quinn while while this um, uh, stuff has been going on. Um, and uh, Mark Johnson, I've been popping in there as well a little bit. Um, Jamie, I, 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 I was always attached to like Melbourne 10 there. Uh, we cut back our numbers on the horses. We have about six now. Um, I haven't been into it since last season. Um, I said the three horses we have are the two, two, two. We had to went to Dubai, dream, dream today, um, and um, and uh, Kids Capri. They were always a little bit on the lightweight, so I couldn't do the eight stone fives and eight sixes in Dubai. So I, I didn't get a chance to sit to sit on them. Uh, I still speak with the lads. Um, I just say hopefully the season gets going in the next couple of weeks or months or whatever happens and hopefully we can all meet up and hopefully we can have a, a, a good year, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, um, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm still sort of, sort of a freelance jockey, so you try and keep yourself open and you ride out in as many places as you can in the week and keep contacts and, and keep everybody pleased as much as you can. And as you've become more established as a, um, a flat jockey, you've Got, you've had the opportunity to ride in more places around the world. You've ridden in Dubai, you've ridden in France. Do you enjoy those experiences going abroad for racing? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy them. Um, I, I love France. I absolutely do. France is unbelievable. Um, uh, um, and and I think I think you know as a rider, you know, you enjoy the day to day stuff, but sometimes it can come. Uh, I know I just you know I won't say boring, but sometimes it comes a competitive cycle, um, and then when you get a big Saturday or a big race day like a Group One or a Group Two, Group Three, or or, or horses pinpointed out for for the year to go to France, and it takes a lot of money to bring a horse abroad and and training fees, so there's a lot of pressure on that day. I re I really get a buzz out of that, um, you know, and 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 I like them big days. I mean. I think every jockey, you know, I think that's why you're in the game. I think them big days, we really, if they don't fire you up and get the best out of you, I don't think you should be doing it. But I love going abroad and seeing different things. I mean, France, I've always had a good uh, Paul Blockley, who who, who who actually we sadly lost this year. Um, uh, is I was a partner of Joe, Joe, of Joe, Joe, Joe Hughes. Um, and Paul was the first person to take me to France, to Deauville Do, Do, about six years ago. Um, and we had a great campaign paying out there there that August, and I always I I I I, I always kept, kept my finger in there. Um, and Dovella went out there this year uh, once. Or Paul and Joe had a second out there, and then for another, uh, uh with Trent with Trent trainer of mine, I write for 
Um, yeah, and I just I just think it gives you different. Without a rider, you can learn so much off. I remember that the year myself and I went out with Paul, and that I remember I was out there based there for for for, for the full month of August. So I got to meet a lot of the flat jockeys, like uh, you know your Olivia Pelle, your Tony Pascarella, and uh, again your Christian Sumiant, um, and you kind of just you know you assess these lads in the weighing room. You watch their mannerism. You watch how they ride the track. You watch. You know, when you get to ride in a race with them, you watch their body, the body uh, uh, movement, their hand movement, and and so on, and and, and you try and learn as much off them. Um, and I think that's the one thing you have to do, and, and and keep trying to learn, learn, and that's why going abroad it does it does teach you a lot of things uh, with different riders, because I think we can sometimes come very one dimensional uh, in places if you stand too too long. So yeah, I do 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 enjoy going abroad. And when you eventually decide to retire as a jockey, would you still like to keep your hand in the industry? Would you like to be a jockey coach or become a trainer, work in bloodstock, anything that takes your fancy in the future? Yeah, um, I, I always said whenever I pack up, I never work with horses again. But I think it's, um, I, I think it's a, it's to be a bit mad because you've spent so long doing it. I think it's kind of walking away from something that you can learn to trade on. I really enjoy young horses. I really do, um, and probably, especially now, even again with this uh, our cr- our crisis we're in, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with the younger horses and mm-hmm. John Quinns and stuff like that, and Mark Johnsons, and you know, and, and that's the side I like to, you know, to educate them and stuff like that. So I say, if I ever did stick with horses, I don't think I like to train. I, I don't think I could. I couldn't deal with owners. <laughs> um, I just like the animals. Um, so I think if I did uh, go into it, I think I'd like to go into a little bit of pre-training. Um, I wouldn't mind a bit of livestock around the place and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think the pre-training train, train side I'd like. Um, you know, if it was with horses that couldn't jump well, getting them back on, with on the schooling facilities and trying to get them to adapt and school better and jump better. I think there's there there is a gap there for for the right person you know um again your proof proofs in the in, in within the pudding um you know there is plenty of people that try all this stuff but if they're not good enough and not successful enough at it uh would, would like they don't last at it so i think i would like to go, go actually down that route you know the pre-training side the school the school uh, the school, uh, school, schooling side and, may, and maybe try trying to bring on a couple of pointers and stuff like that yeah, but that's good. You would like to possibly keep in the industry once you do decide to retire. But that's all we've got time for in this podcast, Dougie. Thank you for coming on, and I really appreciate cheers. it. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Thank you. For more podcasts, please follow us here on our SoundCloud page at In The Saddle Podcast. We're now available on Twitter as well, and you can follow us using our handle at In The Saddle Pod. And also, you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram.